Okay. Written the word form up here on the whiteboard, and that's kind of like what I want to talk about this morning. I want to uh, talk about uh, this word uh, and how it's used in the scripture. Um, I looked up the word form in the dictionary, and it says bringing together parts to combine and create something. Bringing together parts to combine and create something. Another definition is it's the visible shape or configuration of something. The visible shape or configuration of something. And I looked it up Genesis uh, chapter 1, uh, the first three verses. And for your convenience, um, we're going to go through a number of Bible verses. So I'll give you time to, to look them up if you want to follow along. Sometimes I'll just be kind of paraphrasing the verse. I won't be reading it word for word, but uh, you get the idea. I want to start off here with Genesis uh, chapter 1, the first three verses. Remember, we're talking about the word form. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. <clears throat> this is, to me, is kind of a metaphor uh, for life, for human beings. Um, the earth was formless and void. And as humanity, as human beings, before we uh, discover God, before we... Uh, come in contact with God's teachings, we're in a sense formless and void. But just as God gave uh, uh, the darkness light, um, he's given us light and the ability to see and see him with, with clarity. Now in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, then the Lord formed man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And man became a living being. God forms us, giving us the breath of life. And I'm speaking spiritually here. Uh, so what I want to look at this morning is, in a spiritual sense, how does God form us? Okay, he formed Adam in a physical sense, and he gave him the breath of life. So how does God form us spiritually? In New Testament scripture, the root word form is considered uh, in different ways. And I think by examining <clears throat> some, we can understand uh, how God forms us spiritually. Well, what the first here is, Inform. So we want to look at this word. What does inform mean? It means to impart information, to make aware of something, to acquaint oneself with knowledge of a subject. <clears throat> we want to turn to First Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, the thirteenth verse. It's in the New Testament. Uh, kind of in the middle. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. It reads, We do not want you to be uninformed like the rest who have no hope. So God informs us through Scripture. And by informing us, he gives us, among other blessings, hope. It says here, I don't want you to be uninformed like the rest who have no hope. So by God informing us, he gives us, among other things, hope. Other ways of being spiritually informed. It's in Romans uh, chapter 10 and verse 17. It says, so faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message of Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The gospel is God's power for salvation. Matthew 4, chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 4, verse 4. Man must, man must not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And one that I really like is in Proverbs, in chapter 6, verse 23. says, a command is a lamp, teaching is light. This light brings understanding. So, if teaching is light, we should be attentive and should be teachable as, as people, as Christians. In Job chapter 22, verse 22, it says, Receive instruction from his mouth and place his sayings on your heart. This is another way of saying uh, internalize God's teachings and live it, okay? Be able to recall it and make it accessible and use it to your benefit. So in terms of being informed, letting God inform us, um, we should let the Word inform us. We should read Scripture. We should pray. We should be teachable to let God inform us. I want to talk about transformer, transformation. <clears throat> what does it mean to be transformed? Well, the dictionary description means to change markedly the appearance or form. So we're talking about a change here, a change as people, okay? In Romans 12, verse 2, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it says, Scripture informs us <clears throat> that we might, that we, Scripture informs us that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. So scripture transforms us by the renewing of our minds. So there's a change, there's this change here. And what does it mean to, to have our minds renewed? 
when we renew something, we're making, we're reestablishing something. Um, and it, in this case, our relationship with God. So we're reestablishing our relationship with God from the old to the new. We're making it fresh and we're making it strong again. Okay? And when we do that, we begin to think and conduct ourselves differently. This is transformation. Okay, we don't stay the same to change. And this is pointed out in Ephesians uh, verse 4. Excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. And this is expressed as a, in verse 23, as a renewal in the spirit of your minds. Okay? And in verse 24, putting on a new self, the one created according to God's likeness, in righteousness and purity and truth. And in verse 22, taking off the former self, the, way, the former way of life, corrupted by deceitful desires. So we're changing. We're changing from something old, something corrupted, to something new, something fresh. So being transformed is a process. Uh, so we have to work on it diligently. It's just not going to, to happen. talk about conform and uh, there's an antonym of conform it's a uh, iconoclast and the reason why I bring this up is because sometimes I can be a bit of a iconoclast and we're gonna, I'm going to talk about that a little bit a little bit later but when we're talking about conforming we're talking about uh, to score to correspond in form or character to be similar to act or be in accord or agreement to comply. And sometimes conformity is a, a bad idea, which I'll point out. But sometimes it's not a bad idea. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a very good idea. God gives us the, uh, the ability to reason and to think. So when we're conforming to God's way, we're not doing it frivolously, we're not doing it mindlessly, we're just not kind of like robots following along in something that we don't understand because he gives us this ability to think and to reason and to delve into his word, delve into his teaching. Okay. Now conforming to God's ways ex expressed in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 verse 3. It says conforming to godliness. So what are we doing when we conform to godliness? We're emulating Jesus. We talked about that a little bit in class this morning, about Jesus being our example. So when we're conforming to godliness, we're emulating, emulating Jesus. Ephesians 4, the first three verses, says, walking in a manner worthy of the calling. Okay? So by doing this, we're living respectfully and committed to the way of God. And living respectfully is important because, you know, sometimes we can say, oh, we're, we're Christians and we're doing what, what God wants us to do. But we're not necessarily respecting uh, what he wants us to do. And we're kind of 
living kind of frivolously and kind of like thoughtlessly. But it's not what he wants us to do. We have to walk in the manner worthy of the calling. We're living respectfully and committed to the way of the Lord. Now, I mentioned that sometimes conforming is not a good thing. Well, in 1 Peter, the first chapter, verse 14, we're to conform to the right things. When we're conforming, we're to conform to the right things because we can conform to things that aren't correct. It says, do not be conformed to lusts like you were when you were ignorant. What were we like when we were ignorant? When we were ignorant, we were uninformed, okay? State of being ignorant is not, it's not stupid. It's just not knowing. Maybe because you weren't exposed to it, okay? Maybe because you didn't study it. Maybe someone exposed you to it, but you didn't take it seriously. And you didn't delve into it to understand what it really meant. But it says, you know, do not be conformed to lusts like you were when you were ignorant. So God doesn't want us to be ignorant. He wants, wants, wants us to be informed. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the world. Do not be conformed to what's material. And sometimes that's, that's hard too because that's all around us, okay? Uh, we're here this morning. We're worshiping God. We're among other Christians. But when we leave here Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, unless we, we stay in our home, we don't go anywhere. If we go to work, if we interact with, with people, I mean, we're going to be around people who are most likely not going to be Christians, okay? And they're not going to think like us. And so sometimes, because of just the way we are, uh, we're going to get distracted. And there's a chance uh, that we might be tempted to be conformed to the world, to the material. And, And God wants us to guard against guard against that. How should we be conformed in Philippians 3? Uh, it says, uh, be conformed to Jesus Christ's death. So how are we conformed? How do we, are we conformed to his death? Well, in Romans 6, it says Jesus died on the cross. And we died a death. Okay, so Jesus died on the cross, we died to death. That's how we conform, in a way, to Jesus. So, remember I talked about being an iconoclast, um, which is the opposite, really, of conforming. But really, when you stop to think about it, by conforming to God, by conforming in that way, there's kind of a paradox here. Because we're actually being nonconformists, okay? We're being nonconformists in terms of the world, okay? In regards to things that are conditioned, things that are impermanent, that that kind of living. So in a way, we're we're, we're kind of being, you know, kind of classic, okay? Um, the scripture says that as Christians, we're a peculiar people, and I think that that's what that means.
I want to talk about perform. And I'm not talking about perform like a performance, something that's, that's not real. Okay. So what's perform mean? It means to begin and carry through to completion. Okay. It means to take action in accordance with the requirements of. It means to fulfill a commitment to make complete. Okay, so that's what we're doing when we're performing our duties as Christians. In Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 14, because we're obligated to live by the Spirit. So, what does it mean to live by the Spirit? Because we're performing in daily life. They were letting the Spirit guide us and we're performing daily the way God wants us to. Okay. And it's something that uh, we really might have to strive to do it, striving and making an effort because, I mean, we can say these things, but unless we're really putting forth an effort, internalizing it, we're going to get distracted. Okay, we're going to get distracted and choose paths perhaps that we, we you know, it's going to be destructive to us. In Ephesians uh, chapter 4, and, and Blake just read this when you were doing the Lord's Supper. Chapter 4, verse 28, it says, The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Now, this is an attitude of giving as opposed to taking. It's a way of performing in the spirit. Okay, it's a way of emulating Jesus. Okay, it's taking on His attitude, uh, an attitude of giving as opposed to taking. Because if you look at things today, people are on take. People are out, and I'm generalizing. I'm not saying everyone, but I'm generalizing about society. People are more concerned of what they can get themselves as opposed to helping giving to other people okay so he's saying here that we should you know should work and not sit back and wait for someone to give us something we should be able and have the attitude of wanting to give to others when they're in need okay. it's performing And then this morning, earlier, James read from Philippians 2, verses 5 and 7. And this is Jesus' example here. It says, make your attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form, is it word again, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself to way of performing. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a bondservant. Taking on the likeness of men and when he had come as a man in his ex external form he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Humbling. He humbled himself to way of performing by becoming obedient, obedience, 
his performance to the point of death, even on the cross. So, <clears throat> what I wanted to get across to you this morning is to let yourself be continually formed, continually formed as a spiritual being, okay, emulating Jesus. Uh, be informed concerning the gospel. Let the gospel, let the scriptures inform you. Be transformed, uh, letting the word of God change you. Just don't read it, okay, like it's a novel or the newspaper. Let it have an effect on you. Let it transform you, okay? And then be conformed in Jesus' image. There's an example there. If you read it in the scriptures, we have an example that we can form, conform ourselves to. Be conformed to Jesus' image. And then perform, okay? And what is performing? It's being transformed and conforming daily. If you're being, letting yourself be transformed and you're conforming daily, you're performing. Okay, it's, 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 it's uh, as James said, that a faith without works is dead. Unless we're performing it, it's, it's works based on your faith. Um, in First Peter, verse three, or chapter three, First uh, Peter chapter three, verse eighteen, um, and I'm paraphrasing here: the transformation uh, and consistency in life means that there's growth in grace and knowledge. I think that's what that, that's saying here. The transformation and consistency in life means there's growth in grace and knowledge. Well, what's growth in grace? It means that our character is more Christ-like. If we're growing in grace, our character is going to be more Christ-like. The scripture says that Jesus is full of grace. Um, and when we're growing in grace, what are we, what are we going to be like? How, are we, how is our life going to transform? Okay. Well, we're going to be more patient with people. We're going to be kinder with people, more joyful, gentle, and we're going to display self-control, okay, and all of the, the fruits of the Spirit that are talked about in Galatians 5.22. We're going to be more patient, kind, joyful, exhibit self-control. Uh, those are hard things sometimes, especially when we're trying to do them on our own. You know, we're trying to conjure up our own way of, and not and not using Jesus as our example, not being into the scriptures, reading, studying, trying to understand the scriptures. Okay, and what does it mean to grow in knowledge? Growth in knowledge. It means that our minds are more fitted to actually to accurately understand ourselves and our culture, and God. We need to grow in knowledge. <clears throat> and to finish it off here, in Psalms, the 34th Psalm, verse 8, 
it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the one who takes refuge in him. 